exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. The Impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In world news today, the half-brother of Afghan President Hamid Karzai has been assassinated in Kandahar, according to the BBC. Ahmed Wali Karzai, a leading power broker in the country's south, was shot dead at his home. It was a blow to NATO's battle against the Taliban in the area. The Taliban said they carried out the attack, calling it one of their top achievements in the 10 years of war. In national news, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky said today that bipartisan budget deal with President Obama was probably out of reach. He proposed a plan under which the president could increase the federal debt limit without prior congressional approval, according to the New York Times. Congress has until August 2nd to raise the government's $14.3 trillion debt limit. And in Michigan news, Lansing City Council has put a limit of 48 medical marijuana dispensaries allowed in the city. That number is based on how many dispensaries were operating in Lansing in December. Council member Carol Wood estimates there are roughly 2,000 Lansing residents with medical marijuana cards. Many of Lansing's medical marijuana dispensaries may have to relocate or close next July when dispensaries have to be 1,000 feet away from schools, churches, and other dispensaries. And on Exposure tonight, we will be talking about how MSU students collaborate on the new Man vs. Wild video game, which hits stores in the spring. And also on the show, the American Shakespeare Collective will be here. They are mid-Michigan's newest professional theater. But in the studio is a Lansing area artist, Chip Christie, and he is in here to perform. Welcome to the show, Chip. Hello. I'm happy to be here. So you are an MTVU Best Artist. What what is what is that? MTVU Best Artist. Uh... Well, I signed up for uh, an MTV uh, U account. That was a few years ago now, but um, the song was uh, the songs were well received, and uh, it had some reasonable success on the site and got some exposure through the site. And uh, all in all, a good experience. So, when did you start writing music? I started writing writing music uh, about the same time I started singing, which was before I could remember, probably. Um, I started writing seriously when I was about 12. Um, I made my first CD when I was 14 or 15 in a collection of songs that I'm still reasonably proud of, you know, even though it was a long time ago. So I've been doing it ever since. And how would you describe your music? I would describe my music as uh, relaxing, um, kind of an escape. You just put it on and hopefully... Uh, you know, forget about your troubles and and have a fantastic time. <laughs> All right. Well, without further ado, Chip Christie, would you be willing to play a song for us? Yes, I would be more than willing to play a song. Um, the song I'll play here is uh, pretty recently written to, and I wrote this less than a year ago, and I uh, just started recording. So. Song called Run Away With You.
wanting to pack your things up. I would run away with you, my love. Leave this all behind. They won't find us. If days left you weathered in morning rough, I would run away with you, my love. Leave this all behind. They won't find. Studio is Chip Christie. He'll be performing at Dublin Square this Saturday at 5:30 p.m. So, Chip, where else will you? Can people see you perform this summer? Um, this summer, I will be uh, around here. I'll be in and out of uh, Potbellies. A lot of times, playing there on Thursday nights. Um, I will be also uh, quite a bit over a place called the Thirsty Perch um, on top of the Bluegill Grill. It's a rooftop patio right on Lake Lansing. And uh, yeah, Dublin, and uh, I think that's it around here. And where's where's your? I know you um, perform a lot in the Grand Rapids area as well. So where where's your favorite venue that you've ever performed? My favorite venue. Well, I've had um, I've had quite a few shows that I really enjoyed. I really liked. I played a show um, with the Verve Pipe at the Small Planet, and that was one of my that was one of my favorite. And favorite how'd you shows. get? I, I heard yeah that you opened for them. Um, how did you end up getting that gig? Um, it's actually really exciting because the, the Verve Pipe for me, they were my favorite, my favorite growing up. And uh, the Small Planet actually, they uh, contacted me. I think they might have heard me. I, I was playing at the Riv at the time, and I think somebody at the Small, somebody that was booking the Small Planet, um, Jerome was his name, he uh, heard me at the Riv and asked me to come over and play. So. So we were talking before the show, and you were saying that um, you know sometimes in the summer you can play up to nine gigs a week, and then you're, in the slow season in the winter you play three gigs. But 
to me, that seems like a lot, a lot of playing. Um, and we have a lot of artists in here on Impact Exposure, and we talk a lot about um, how the Internet is now a new way of promoting your music, whether that be Kickstarter or on social media sites. But I looked online, and I see that you don't have a lot online, so but you still play a lot of gigs. So how is it that you promote your music? Um, right now, I've been uh, really just promoting the old-fashioned way and just playing a lot and meeting a lot of people. Um, I definitely intend to get a stronger internet presence um, with this. I'm working on a new uh, album right now, and uh, that's one of the big goals for this one is to do a pretty heavy internet push. So you'll probably be seeing a lot more of me on YouTube, a lot more of me on uh, you know, just social, social uh, music sites on the internet. Pretty soon, hopefully on some blogs, hopefully on... Uh, with with the new stuff coming up, that's that's the goal. So I just graduated with a degree in music education, and um, I'm curious. Uh, I think in high school, I do not believe that you were in choir or band, but you are a strong musician. So why why did you decide to opt out of those classes? Well, actually, I was in choir um, for a long time. I was I was never in band, but uh, yeah, choir Grand Lodge High School. I, I sang with the Madrigals uh, for two years. And um, so, yeah, I definitely had uh, I had some some training in school, but it was uh, it was fun. It was fun, and I learned a lot. And I did a lot of other things too in school. So, to take us out, um, can you play one more song for us? I would love to play one more song. And uh, I'm gonna do uh, a lot of the stuff that I play at around here when I play at Dublin, and a little bit of pop bellies. I do I do quite a few covers. So I'm gonna play you one of my favorite, one of my favorite covers. Kind of a bold cover, but I like it, so I, I can't help but play it. It's a Beatles song called Yesterday.
Christy. He'll be performing at Dublin Square here in East Lansing this Saturday at 5.30 p.m. Chip Christy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hey, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. You're tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. MSU students collaborated on the new Man vs. Wild video game, which hit stores in the spring in April. To talk about this project is the CEO of Scientifically Proven Entertainment, Nathaniel or Than McClure, and an MSU student, Adam Rademacher, who worked on the project. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Emily. So, Than, um, talk about this video game, Man vs. Wild, and why you decided to collaborate with MSU. Yeah, um, uh, the game is based on the Discovery Channel show starring Bear Grylls about a, essentially a survivalist that's dropped into the wild and you have to make it out on live, make it alive more or less. Uh, when I recently relocated to Michigan and opened up a new shop, and I was looking for some uh, um, educational outlets, number one, to uh, look for new talent and potentially bring them on board, but then also to kind of uh, hopefully act as a tutor and mentor for you know, the next generation of game designers and programmers and artists. Uh, actually, I, originally, I believe Brian Wynn, the professor up there, reached out to me and said, hey, we have this program, you know, we've done it for a couple of years, uh, we're still fine-tuning it, but we, we essentially team up with, uh, you know, professionals like yourself, would you be interested? And I went up and I sat down with him, and he said, hey, here's the opportunity, you know, we have 30 to 40 students every year, they go through this program, and I'm looking to give them real-world real experience, and uh, I said, yeah, it sounds great. So Man vs. Wild was our first adventure, more or less, with MSU. 
So in, and in the studio is Adam Rademacher, who's a student involved in this project. Adam, talk about, you, you were one of those 30 students or so. Um, talk about what it was like to work on this project. Uh, indeed, I was actually the student producer on the project, which meant that I was kind of the first point of contact with Scientifically Proven, with Anne and Derek over there. And, um, you know, I worked a lot with the team here to kind of get the program structured and figure out what we could do for them to really help their game come along. Um, so it was a really great opportunity to work with an actual real game studio on a title that was shipping on next generation consoles and kind of get our names out there. And, and what kind of work are you are you doing now? Are you trying to pr pursue a career in, in the gaming world? Yeah, actually, I'm an associate producer at another Michigan game studio, Pixel Factor Entertainment, down in Royal Oak. Are, is, yeah, I saw it, by the way. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. So and spe speaking of, of, of Michigan um, game industries um, or Michigan gaming companies, um, Than, I, I understand that your company is scientifically proven, started in L.A. and came to Michigan. Um, and, and then I read something about Michigan film tax incentives. Were you able to utilize film tax incentives um, uh, as a, as a, um, in, a, in the gaming industry? Not yet. You are able to, yes. Oh. Uh, we have, unfortunately, have not yet. Uh, Adam's company, Pixel, they actually just got approved for their second, I believe, last week. Um, unfortunately, we ran into some, uh, uh, I guess, difference of opinion with uh, Treasury in regards to how it's approved. And actually, we just got out of a year-long lawsuit that we won about three weeks ago against the state that should approve us for credits moving forward. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah, that, that, that's the goal, essentially, to utilize those credits. So how is it, you know, when I think of film tax credits, I think of, of, of films coming to Michigan and filming in Michigan. So you're getting those Michi Michigan shots. So how does that work in the gaming industry? Is it, you know, doing a collaboration like reaching out to universities like MSU in which that you did for the Man vs. Wild video game? Or, you know, how do you do that as a, as a, a gamer? Credit. The credit is independent from uh, from any uh, affiliation with anyone. It, it's very similar to the film. So, you know, we have a project, uh, Manvers Wild, for example, and we fill out the application just like, you know, a film. And actually it says right on the application itself there's a checkbox for film, TV, video games, uh, web, so on and so forth. Uh, and you essentially check the box. You submit a budget, you know, with how many Michigan hires you have, how much money you intend on spending the state, so on and so forth, and you kind of go about about the same. The great thing about video games compared to film, and I, hey, I love film too, we have a film division, but video games is full-time residence, all the money is spent in state and stays in state, so it's a, a really kind of this uh, um, small part of the incentive that should be much louder. You know, you hear so many naysayers about the incentive talk about, well, it's these Hollywood producers and all this nonsense, but the game portion, no, it's full-time Michigan residents and full-time Michigan companies. So did those film tax incentives, was that, um, did that incentivize you to, to come to Michigan from being that's, first that's in L.A.? I came here, absolutely. I, I've never even, prior to come, moving here, I've never even visited Michigan. Um, I learned about the credits when I was in Los Angeles. I had a studio out there, and I really wanted to uh, increase my margins and, and also expand my company and, and get more aggressive and you know, bring on a lot more hires. Also, I was looking for a great place to raise my children. Uh, my wife and I kind of ran our cycle in Los Angeles, and as much as we enjoyed it, we kind of wanted a you know nice home and a nice school district, and we found it in Michigan. So do you think that you would have still collaborated with the university if you were still in California? Uh, probably not, no, no. Um, I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I didn't even know anyone in Michigan, so it was kind of just coming up here and uh, looking at the landscape, and it's such an incredible university system in the state. Uh, and I said, okay, you know, start meeting people in all the universities. We have hires from MSU, U of M, Wayne State, CCS, 
uh, it's a great talent pipeline. So, Adam, I'm curious, have you been able to see the or see or play Man vs. Wild yet? I have, actually, yeah. I get to play it for a number of hours. And, and how much of MSU's work could you see in that? Well, we weren't working directly on the game, but I could definitely see our influence at pretty much every corner of the game. Uh, what what we actually did for the game was a lot of uh, prototyping, which is a process in game development where you kind of hash out an idea and you build a simple version of a game, and, and you can use that to build upon it and refine it and make it funner and you know use it in the final product eventually. Um, so I was able to see that all over the game where we would kind of give our ideas to scientifically proven who then refined them and built upon them and made them a part of the game. Yeah, Than, can you talk about that process and, and how MSU may have, may have helped out in the, in the overall? Um... Yeah, I mean, they were a huge help. It, it was interesting because, um, you know, Brian, uh, Brian Wynn and myself, we sat down and we, we weren't sure exactly how the system would work and we're still refining it. We just finished up our second year working with MSU students. Uh, and so we're like, okay, you know, what do we do? So our development cycle on Maverick Wild was almost 14 months, where obviously, you know, the students' participation was uh, four or five months, give or take. So it's like we can't, they can't be involved from start to finish. Like, man, what would be the greatest use of resource that would give the students some, um, you know, experience and some involvement with the project but wouldn't hog tie us to after the students are gone that we have to rely on them? So we came up with this kind of prototype process, and it, uh, it definitely had its ups and downs. I mean, it's guys like Adam that really were able to help hold it together. But uh, so essentially they would come up with, we'd say, look, you know, here's kind of what we're looking for, this type of gameplay component. Uh, here's the resources available that we're going to have to do. Come up with 5, 10, 20 different potential concepts that could fall within these parameters. And then the MSU students came up with a whole bunch of great stuff. Uh, you know, just balancing mini games, eating mini games, cooking mini games, all this really cool stuff. And then they made basic prototypes of it. We'd take a look and we'd say, okay, we love this one, we hate this one, this one maybe needs some work. And then if we really loved it, and they'd go back and do a couple revisions on it, and then we'd take it, fine tune it, and put it in the actual game. So, Adam, what do you think was the most challenging part, or maybe exciting part about this project, being able to collaborate on the Man vs. Wild video game? Well, there's a couple of challenging parts, one being kind of the schedules were so different. You know, they're a full-time studio, they're working on it all day, every day, and we're a bunch of students. You know, we're in a class, we're there for a couple hours a day, you know, we, we put in some time outside of class, but, you know, we have other commitments beyond just working on the project. Um, so that was one of the big issues kind of surrounding it, like everyone kind of wanted to put more time into it, but we couldn't really offer that much more time as students in the in, at a major four-year university. Um, the other problems were just kind of the typical problems that hash up around any kind of major project where you have a lot of distance between your teams, where you have, you know, a lot of communication issues, a lot of, you know, just problems that you need to solve and kind of maintain all the time while you're working on the project. Now, Than, just to back up a little bit, um, again, for our listeners, I'm, I'm talking about um, how MSU students collaborate on the new Man vs. Wild video game that that was released in April, um, and it was by um, the company that produced it was Scientifically Proven Entertainment. And, and Than, can you tell us a little bit about Scientifically Proven Entertainment? Sure. Um, it, it's originally an offshoot from our Los Angeles facility, which is called Epicenter Studios. Uh, we moved up five of our employees from L.A., and all of our employees are local Michigan hires. Uh, we're a kind of uh, cross-platform interactive entertainment company. We have a games division, which just finished up Man vs. Wild. We have four projects in the works right now. 
Uh, we have a film division. We finished. Uh, we filmed our first film last summer. We have another one in pre-production now, uh, and then we have a television division as well that is working on a couple reality pilots. So it's kind of a uh, and also uh, even offshoots on that uh, full interactive. We have a, um, a new medical program we're working on with a, an oncologist in California. That is a, a training simulator for a new technique to eradicate uterine tumors. We have uh, another military offshoot. They're working on uh, U.S. drones with the, uh, or sorry, drones with the U.S. military, and we're working on an educational component as well. We teamed up with some local school districts uh, near Detroit to uh, bring some interactive components to the traditional lecture in schoolrooms. Wow. And so do you, you said that, you know, some of you guys that were relocated to Michigan, do you guys plan on, on sticking around in Michigan for a while? I, I absolutely, I, I love it. It's, uh, there's been some tremendous uh, uh, speed bumps slash roadblocks with the incentive. I mean, that's what brought me here, and that's what I based a lot of my business plan off of, and that has been a very long struggle. Uh, that being said, I see a tremendous amount of opportunity up here, um, uh, personally, uh, you know, outside of the business aspect, I love it up here. I grew up in upstate New York. It reminds me a lot of that. I have an incredible home. Um, yeah, I have a great school district for my children. My wife really enjoys it. Uh, I know my employees really love it up here, the guys that came from California. Uh, they were making, you know, a, a relatively solid living in California, but they couldn't afford homes. They couldn't really, you know, afford families. And up here they can do all that. The cost of living plus the opportunity I think is a real gold mine in the state. Well, in the studio, um, I was talking with Nathaniel McClure. Um, he is a CEO of Scientifically, Scientifically Proven Entertainment and uh, Adam Rademacher. He is an MSU student that worked on the project. It was a collaboration between MSU and Scientifically Proven Entertainment to create the Man vs. Wild video game. So, Than and Adam, thanks so much for joining us tonight. No Thank problem, you. You're listening to Impact Exposure. We've just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tapping his music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. But, sir, I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on 89 The impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In the studio is Tommy Gomez and Christina um, Tracer of the American Shakespeare Collective, and it is Mid-Michigan's newest professional theater, and they are here to talk about the collective. Welcome to the show, everyone. Hi. Thanks Thank for having you. us. So first off, tell, tell us about what is the American Shakespeare Collective and how and why did it start? Ooh, okay. Um, the American Shakespeare Collective is a uh, 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 new classical theater, um, it started, it was uh, an idea uh, that I've been working on for a while, um, years, and um, moving back to Michigan, and after working here for a few years, uh, it sort of finally became time to sort of put it into action. 
um, I talked to my partner, John Neville Andrews, um, and said, you ready to do this? And he said, yes. And so we have this year finally gone public. I've been working furiously the last year and a half on all the legal stuff, you know, uh, taking care of all that, the stuff that most people don't know happens, but um, finally went public last month. So are you based in, in Lansing then? Yeah, we are saying that Lansing, our Lansing area is our base. We don't have a space right now and actually don't want a space right now. Uh, that's one of the differences, um, this theater. Um, we're actually working with the collective. The collective are members who live, currently live all over the country. Um, these members are sort of a think tank uh, for the theater, and they will come and work with us uh, off and on as calendars and schedules work out. Um, the idea is that we choose a play for a specific reason uh, and then try to find the space that best uh, helps the play or helps the director convey the message of that play. So So let me get this right. So so there is one American Shakespeare collective and that is you. Or are there many American Shakespeare collectives? There's one one. And you are recruiting like, you know, people that, that you can collaborate with across the country that are that are helping you get That's this, right. Get and this they going. are the members. They are the collective members. Um, yes, and they live all over the country. And uh, are professional theater artists. And you also have um, an upcoming performance on July 18th at Schuler's Books in Eastwood. That's right. So why did you decide, um, you know, to do a performance there as you're thinking about spaces that you want to perform in in, in, in mid-Michigan? Um, uh, part of the theory behind that is uh, that reading is a reading of Othello, and that will be the first of a three-part uh, reading or installment investigation um, of Othello, we are working towards uh, producing the full production next spring, and we are using the readings, they not only for the public or for the audience entertainment, but they're for us as well, because we are working on a very um, edited or streamlined version of Othello that one of our collective members submitted, and we are sort of flushing it out during this year during this upcoming year. And that's something that isn't normal uh, to theaters. And most theaters, you know, they, they, a ch play is chosen, you rehearse it for a few weeks, and then you put it up for a few more weeks, and then it's gone. What we're trying to do is investigate these texts uh, in depth. Um, and most theaters want to do that. It's just usually you can't. Um, but we're saying, why not? And, you know, why not start with a reading, investigate it, get some audience reaction, our next reading, we will change some of the text, add some more text, maybe add some movement um, to explore the idea. And then the third reading, even more. And then finally, the production, which will be obviously off book and you know, a full-blown a full play. Um, this version is a six-person version, which is rare as well. Um, and we are focusing in on the male-female relationships in the play. There are three main relationships that exist in this play that are male-female relationships. And this play, or this production, is f zeroing in on that part of the play. 
Um, so there are characters that are cut out. Uh, it's it's just really just zooms in on why a relationship uh, breaks down. So without further ado, would you be willing to perform a bit of Othello for us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what we have is uh, toward the end of the play, uh, almost the very end, and this is right before Othello stifles Desdemona. Who's there? Othello? Aye, Desdemona. Will you come to bed, my lord? Have you prayed tonight, Desdemona? Aye, my lord. If you bethink yourself of any crime unreconciled as yet to heaven and grace, solicit for it straight. Alas, my lord, what do you mean by that? I'll do it and be brief. I will walk by. I will not kill thy unprepared spirit. No, heaven forfend. I would not kill thy soul. Talk you of killing? Aye, I do. Then heaven have mercy on me. Amen, with all my heart. If you say so, I hope you will not kill me. Hum. And yet I fear you, for you are fatal then when your eyes roll so. Why I should fear I know not, since guiltiness I know not, but yet I feel I fear. Think on thy sins. They are loves I bear to you. Aye, and for that thou diest. That death's unnatural that kills for loving. Alas, why gnaw you so your nether lip? Some bloody passion shakes your very frame. These are portents, but yet I hope, I hope they do not point on me. Peace and be still. I will so. What's the matter? That handkerchief, which I so loved and gave thee, thou gavest to Cassio. No, by my life and soul. Send for the man and ask him. By heaven, I saw my handkerchief in his hand. Oh, perjured woman. Thou dost stone my heart and makes me call what I intend to do a murder, which I thought a sacrifice. I saw the handkerchief. He found it then. I never gave it him. Send for him hither. Let him confess the truth. He hath confessed. What, my lord? That he hath used thee. How? Unlawfully? Aye. He will not say so. No. His mouth is stopped. Honest Iago hath taken order for it. Oh, my fair interprets. What, is he dead? Had all his hairs been lives, my great revenge had stomach for them all. Alas, he is betrayed, and I undone. Out, strumpet! Weeps thou for him in my face? Oh, banish me, my lord, but kill me not. Down, strumpet! Kill me tomorrow, let me live tonight. Nay, if you strive... But half an hour. Being done, there is no pause. But while I say one prayer... It is too late. And in the studio, we have Tommy and Christina. They are members of the American Shakespeare Collective. It has been Michigan's newest professional theater. So, Tommy and Christina, so, Tommy, you are the artistic director. Christina, you are a member of this. Mm -hmm. um, so, so everyone that is an actor or an actress in this collective is also a member, correct? Or will be? Yes. The short answer is yes. Okay. There are only a couple of actors that are members. I see. Um, it is the, the, the membership, the collective members are directors, actors, and, uh, and a choreographer. The think, the think tank. Okay. Exactly, exactly. The yeah. idea is that we are bringing people from all over the country who are at the top of their game in the classical theater world. And we are picking projects and working on projects that might suit different people within it. And we're bringing that high level of theater to mid-Michigan and the Lansing area. But absolutely shows would be cast with other actors, you know, other 
directors, people like that, if they are suited for for the show itself. Right. So, Christina, talk about your background and how you got involved with this project. Um, well, I am an actor with the collective and also uh, a vocal coach and a fight director. I choreograph violence for the stage. Um, I'm also a professor at Michigan State University, and I teach in the Department of Theater there. So uh, I've had a huge classical background as well, and when I heard about this theater, it was very exciting to think that um, we could cast nationally and we could work with people nationally and, and give that exposure back to roots. I grew up in Michigan, um, lived in California for a lot of years and came back to raise a family. And I, it's exciting to think that we can bring we can bring people from all over to this area. And so when you're casting for plays, um, are you planning on, on having mostly a you know, across across the U.S., people from across the U.S. to come to Michigan, or are you going to try to hire more Michigan actors? Uh, it's it's always the plan to be a mix. Okay. Yep. The idea is is I, I believe in that. Uh, I grew up here as well. Uh, I love Shakespeare, and I went off and worked for years, um, and I'm back here as well. And 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 the idea is to bring in artists from all over, and, uh, and to work side by side with local actors as well, um, or directors, or designers, or what have you. I mean, it, 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 truly, the mission is about. Um, spanning the country and bringing it all here um, to start here. Uh, the idea is that Lansing will be the first for everything. They will get to see everything first. So do you have any upcoming, like, big performances going on? I know that you'll be doing a reading at Schuler's Books on July 18th, um, but any other big productions that you, that you guys are planning? No, right now it's the, the, the three readings are sort of scheduled, um, the, the Schuler books uh, on Monday, the 18th, and then we are also participating in the Renegade Theater Festival uh, at the end of August, uh, and so it'll be an expanded version, and then we're also part of the Ohio Valley Shakespeare Conference, which is being held at MSU this year, thank goodness, um, and, and that will be a more of a stage reading, so there will actually be movement and blocking involved in that um, and then the production itself is slated for the spring. And that will be the full yeah. production. So yeah. all of these things that we're working on through the fall, we will put into practice for our inaugural full, fully produced production of Othello in the spring. I see. Yeah. So I'm assuming the Shakespeare Collective is going to perform only Shakespeare from here on out. No. No? Nope. Okay. Uh, uh, and that, that's, it may sound funny, but it's very common. Uh, it will be classical. It is a classical theater. Um, so uh, all of the text will be uh, a, a classical piece. Um, the, the focus or the emphasis will be on Shakespeare's plays, um, but we will also experiment with other, you know, Greek tragedies or, you know, uh, um, uh, a Renaissance play or a... Chekhov, Chekhov. or Shaw. Yeah, Shaw might be the closest as we get to our contemporary world. Um, but they will all be classical texts. Uh, and the majority of them hopefully will be, you know, innovative, um, you know, different takes, like this Othello being a six-person version. Um, and modern. So how, modern. how do Shakespeare's themes and classical right. themes tie to us every day? So it's not yeah. just a dead, archaic text. That's right. I see. That's right. 
Well, in the studio is Tommy and Christina. They are part of the American Shakespeare Collective. It is MidMichigan's newest professional theater. For more information, you can go to AmericanShakespeareCollective.com. Christina and Tommy, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank, Thank you. you very much. You're listening to Impact Exposure. here. Th- thanks again, man. It was good Wait, time. you were uh, you were hitting it pretty hard tonight. Are you, are you good to drive? Heck yeah! I am amazing at driving. Yeah, man, you sure? I mean, I can call a cab or we fine. can uh, we can get somebody to take you home. Yeah, you know? yeah don't worry. I'm good. Okay. Uh, hey, text me when you get back, okay? Stop right there. This is stupid. He's drunk. Friends don't let friends drink and drive. Ever. A message from 88.9 The Impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights from 8 until 10 p.m., the Impact Flashback is your retro music alternative, playing your old favorites from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Only on Impact Primetime. In a world where radio was repetitive and mundane, in a time when FM is played by the same 15 songs, an army of new songs are called to battle. And only the strongest survive. Every Sunday night from 8 till 10. Sit or spit. Only on Impact 89 FM. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. In the studio is Jesse Hahn and Ben Ackerman. They are the chefs and owners of Trailer Parked. It is a new mobile food truck in Lansing that sells what they call slow, fast food. Welcome to the show, Jesse and Ben. Thanks for having Thanks. us. Thank you. So talk about this so-called Trailer Parked and why you just started, decided to start this in Lansing. Um, basically, we do uh, locally sourced street food. Um, I'm from Lansing. This is a community I grew up in, and it's a community I want to be in. So um, our idea was uh, the smallest investment possible to start cooking our own food and uh, generate a clientele base and building some revenue so we can transform into brick and mortar. And do you guys have backgrounds in, in, in you know, culinary arts or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I've been cooking my whole life. Yeah, I, I just graduated from MSU in hospitality business. Um, I've, been, I've cooked all my life, so for the past seven years or so. And talk about what kind of food do you serve? We do uh, street food, basically. Uh, burgers, tacos, tortas. Do a daily pork special. Um, today we did some brisket and some smoked ribs. Basically we use the whole parts of the animal, so whatever we have is what we use. It's all locally sourced, it's all natural, free range, and organic. So Excellent. Um, and how has business been so far? How long have you guys been around? Two months yesterday. Two months, Two months yesterday. Congratulations. Thank and, you. and how has Thank business you. been? Very good, very good. And where are you located? We're in Old Town, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday from 11 to 6. And then we're at the Allen Street Farmer's Market on Wednesday from 2.30 to 7. Um, and then the East Lansing Farmer's Market on Sunday from uh, 10 to 2. And then Saturdays we kind of keep open for special events now. So, you know, I read an article that said that sometimes you just roam around and people have to find you on Twitter. And, and your <laughs> menu is always changing. Our menu does menu constantly change. Daily. Yeah. Other than the three, the three uh, uh, keepsakes are the burger, the taco, and the torta, and those ingredients will get mani- excuse me manipulated a little bit with the seasons as far as tomatoes and corn and things like that. So, yeah, is that do you find that difficult trying to get all local and organic ingredients? Not necessarily. There's a ton of great farmers in our community, so. 
I mean, do you think that, how do you think your menu may change in the winter time? Let's a lot say. more root vegetables, a lot more, you know. Heavier dishes. Heavier dishes. And braised items. Uh, preservation techniques, you know. So it's all about taking the proper steps to ensure the quality of the ingredients and respecting the integrity of it. So, I mean, we've, we've been on this earth for a long time, and we haven't been eating processed food for that long, so there's ways around it. Yeah. That's that's awesome. Um, so, um, cities like Portland, Oregon, are crawling with yeah, food with food vendors. I mean, they are everywhere. Like mm -hmm. sometimes there's whole blocks dedicated to them. So, do you think? I know we have a few hanging out here. I know I've seen one in Old Town, something the purple carrot or something yep. like that in an Very old nice town. job. And then um, there's there's the um, Oasis vendor mm -hmm. um, right on Michigan Avenue, um, right after you get under the bridge coming uh, to Lansing from East Lansing. Um, but do you think that these you know mobile food vendors can really catch on in Lansing? Do you think that you know, we're hoping so? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're paving the way. I, I hope. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's been a whole process getting to where we are now through all the steps of the city and all that jazz. Um, but I think I think it'll definitely catch on here soon. If not now. <laughs> and, and are you guys planning on staying open in the wintertime as well? We're planning on uh, manipulating our business a little bit, picking up some more catering and stuff like that. Um, we're thinking about doing a delivery um, a couple days a week where people can contact us, you know, and, uh, you know, do some office-style things, so... Because it's going to be really hard to get people in a Michigan winter to come to a trailer. Nice. <laughs> so it right. doesn't matter how many of those mobile heating devices you put around you. It's <laughs> not practical. Right. Um, and I, so you make everything from scratch as well. Not only yeah. are you are you local and organic, but you make everything from scratch, even the condiments. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> we, we buy our bread from uh, Stone Circle Bakehouse at a whole. Kevin does an amazing job with artisan bread down there, so... Just buy really good ingredients. and. So what has been the hardest thing so far to try to get this rolling? Um, our business plan was based around being in downtown Lansing. And uh, we, with the um, ban that they have in District A against food trucks and food trailers, we're not allowed to be down there. It's been that way since 96, I guess. We weren't notified of any of that during the entire process. Just say, hey, you guys can't be here. Oh, sweet. <laughs> I know when I when some people say that they start a restaurant, um, and I know that this is a this is a food vendor trailer, mm -hmm. and so it's a little different. But I mean, are you guys feeling overwhelmed? You know, having to go get your food in the morning, and are you working like around the clock? Yeah, we work around the clock, but we um, like we said, we're at uh, two farmers markets a week, and we use a ton of the people at those markets. You know, we get our chicken from there, we get our our beef from there, we get our pork delivered, um, we get a ton of our vegetables from you know. Uh, the Giving Tree and Owasso Organics that are at a couple of markets that we're at. So, um, you know, those other four to five days a week, we're, we're scrambling a bit. But, you know, especially with storage, our cooler's only so big on the trailer. So, <laughs> And you say that, you know, you try to get everything that's in season. What is in season right now? Right now, it's a transition from, uh, you know, spring to summer vegetables and, and fruits and stuff like that. So um, black raspberries are popping, blueberries are popping. Um, squash, Cherries zucchini. are still a little tart. Squash, zucchini. I mean, carrots are here. There's a ton of stuff that's here, if not on the verge of being here. So, And what I'm is your excited. favorite dish that you're making right now? I don't know. Anything with pork. <laughs> <laughs> pork is delicious. Yeah, we love pork. Um, most popular would probably be our tacos, our ball and ass tacos. Um, yeah, we do our. Uh, we have chorizo ground to our specs. We spice it ourselves. Um, a little bit of mole verde, green sauce, um, a little bit of queso fresco, cilantro, and lime. So, yeah, it's been fairly popular. 
So full disclosure, I'm a vegetarian, but mm-hmm. I will eat local organic meat if I know where <laughs> it's from. All natural and I'll free eat, range. And I'll eat game meat from my, you know, for if a family friend goes out, oh, get yeah. some venison, you know, what have you. So where, where do you get your pork from? You say that that's one of your favorites. Our pork comes from Clear Creek Farms right now. Our beef is coming from uh, uh, Lonesome Pines, Lonesome Pines. Uh, Beef Farm. And then chicken is from Spartan Country. And are the are the... Are the cows free-range? Yeah, yeah. all free-range, all yeah. natural. Wow. Yeah. Antibiotic, hormone-free. Is mm-hmm. that pretty rare? Um, there's a trend moving yeah, in that direction. Yeah, there's a trend moving towards more grass-fed uh, We like clean, happy raised. animals, so... They taste better. <laughs> Probably better for you. Uh, much, much, much better. <laughs> so anyways, I'm talking with um, Jesse Hahn and Ben Ackerman. They are the co-owners and chefs of Trailer Parked. It is a mobile food truck in Lansing that sells what they call slow fast food. And where can people go to follow you and, and catch up with your schedules and menus? Um, you can check us out on Facebook and Twitter, um, Trailer Parked, apostrophe D, um, or our website, uh, trailerpark.com. Well, Jesse and Ben, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thanks Thank for you. having us. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. This week's Michigan storytelling segment features Joseph Williams. He is author of Detroit Macabre. He'll be at Everybody Reads in Lansing on Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. Welcome to the show, Joseph. Hi, thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit about this book. Oh, well, it's a collection of 13 horror stories. Um, All of them but one take place in Michigan. Half of them take place in Detroit. You know, a lot of them are kind of Twilight Zone type stories. Some of them are more Stephen King, Clive Barker-esque. But, uh, you know, it's just taking familiar settings for people like us who grew up in Michigan and making horror stories out of them because I thought that would be fun. And what inspired you to write this book? Well, I read a lot of horror. I watch a lot of horror movies. Um, So the ideas just kind of came naturally to me, and I went to undergrad and grad at Wayne State in Detroit. I'm currently there for grad school. And just, I mean, when you walk down there, it's it's kind of like, how come this hasn't been a setting for horror more often over the years? There's not, it's kind of an untapped genre in Detroit. And there's so, I mean, it looks like a post-apocalyptic zombie, uh, you know, story a lot of times. So just from walking around down there and being involved in the literary community there, I was just inspired to write these stories. So when when you can see Detroit or read about Detroit in your book, Detroit Macabre, are they all based on real places that you have seen? The majority of them. Uh, it's most. It's not uh, particular buildings. It's more or less just areas, streets. 
But, yeah, there are some recognizable landmarks, and even some of them, you know, like in Oscoda, Michigan, and other places around the state where people will recognize. Uh, there's one that takes place in Northville, Michigan, too, so all around in the area. Very cool. Without further ado, would you be willing to do a reading for us? Sure. Uh, this Just to give a little background, this is from a story called Delaney's Masterpiece. It's kind of a Twilight Zone story about a guy who goes off to finish his masterpiece in a cabin. He's a writer, and when he comes back, he realizes that he is the last man on earth with no explanation. He worked furiously, like the whips of hell were behind him. In a way, he supposed they were. It was a vicious cycle. He'd write until his hand went numb, and then he'd grab a beer, wash the gathered smoke from his eyes, and read over his work until the feeling returned. Then he'd go even faster than before. And just like that, the sweat and tears and words and feeling all drained out of him. They were like layers of dead skin and dirt being scrubbed away, if only because of how satisfying it felt to be rid of their mutterings in his head. A sane man can only take so many words, so many thoughts, so many lives and destinies in his head before the force of the weight crushes him. Delaney was relieved to ease some of his dark wanderings away. They still existed, but now they were on paper. They were no longer his. By the time the sun came up the next morning, his hand was bruised, swollen, and numb, and he'd fought his way through fifty pages. He was deathly tired but obscenely pleased with himself and the work he'd done when he decided it was time to take his rest. If not for the sake of his eyes and mind, then surely for his hand. Still, he lingered over his notebooks for the better part of an hour, rereading passages, making notes and changes wherever necessary, sometimes just leafing through the pages in advanced hypnosis from the blue-fleshed words slung over endless dividing lines. He thought how much the words began to look like one body when he stared at them long enough. It made sense in a way. It was more representative of what they truly were. When all other illusions and calculated profundity were stripped away, there was one body left to endure, to represent the collective memory of their unified labor. He laughed to himself, insane with exhaustion. When I wake up, I'll finish it, he vowed aloud. He downed the last of his beer and collapsed into bed, still wearing his jeans, beer-drenched polo, and tennis shoes. Sometime in the early hours of the morning, there was a low rumble that shook the foundation of the cabin. Delaney stirred awake for a moment when it hit, but was soundly asleep again after a short breath. He didn't even remember the incident in the morning and wouldn't have cared to. It was inconsequential. Anything beyond his walls, or more rightly, anything beyond the confines of the vivid yet fictitious world he'd created in his spiral-bound notebooks, wasn't worth a moment of his thought or time, even his wife. Unless, of course, it was in relation to his masterpiece. He couldn't wait to see the world's reaction when it was released. He couldn't wait to be worshipped. Delaney dreamed of scuba divers and rocket ships and serial killers and would have been upset with himself in the morning if he'd remembered that the sweet nightmare of success and posterity had eluded him. And in the studio uh, for the Michigan Storytelling segment is Joseph Williams. He's author of Detroit Macabre, and he'll be at Everybody Reads in Lansing on Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. So, Joseph, where was that, where was that scene that you just read from? It's just as he's uh, he goes up and he's kind of in a frenzy when he goes there. The whole story kind of leaves open up to interpretation whether or not he's just kind of gone too deep into the creative well and gone crazy and he's just imagining everything that's happening. Um, you know, I had people when I did this reading at uh, my book release party wonder if, you know, if I was suggesting that there was some kind of alien abduction for the entire planet or what it was. But this is right as he's finishing the book that, you know, he's kind of set the world aside for, but he wants to come back to the world once he's done with it and have them all praise him. But, of course, it's not there, and that's the ultimate irony of the story. And where did you have um, that that story located? Was it, you know, somewhere else in the U.S., or was it set in Michigan? It's set in Michigan. It actually, t he, 
Uh, Delaney lives in Metro Detroit, but then he goes up to his cabin in the Upper Peninsula uh, to finish his masterpiece, which is what he always does when he's writing a book. And, uh, yeah, like I said, when he comes back, there's no one there. And is this your first book that you've ever written? No. Uh, I've published – I've been published in probably five or six different literary magazines and anthologies. Uh, I've self-published two collections of short stories before this, but I've written probably 11 or 12 books. And do you usually write fiction? Yes. I Well, I also write for Real Detroit Weekly. I do articles. I interview bands. and American, I've interviewed Thomas Lynch, who's from around here. Um, so I do articles for them. But other than that, yeah, I just write fiction. Excellent. Well, again, in the, in the studio is Joseph Williams, author of Detroit Macabre. He'll be at Everybody Reads in Lansing this Wednesday from 6 to 8 p.m. But before I let you go, I'm going to read you today's news. In world news, the half-brother of Afghan President Hamid Karzai has been assassinated in Kandahar, according to the BBC. Hamid Y. Karzai, a leading power broker in the country's south, was shot dead at his home. It was a blow to NATO's battle against the Taliban in the area. The Taliban said they carried out this, the attack, calling it one of their top achievements in 10 years of war. In national news, the Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky said today that a bipartisan budget deal with President Obama was probably out of reach. He proposed a plan under which the president could increase the federal debt limit without prior congressional approval, according to The New York Times. Congress has until August 2nd to raise the government's $14.3 trillion debt limit. And in Michigan news, Lansing City Council has put a limit of 48 medical marijuana dispensaries allowed in the city. That number is based on how many dispensaries were operating in Lansing in December. Council member Carol Wood estimates there are roughly 2,000 Lansing residents with medical marijuana cards. Many of Lansing's medical marijuana dispensaries have to relocate or close next July when dispensaries have to be 1,000 feet away from schools, churches, and other dispensaries. And to keep up with impact exposure here at the Impact 89 FM, you can follow us on Twitter as well as on our website at impact89fm.org. Thank you so much for listening. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure.